this is Matt. I'm the lead pastor at Westminster Baptist Church. Thanks for engaging God's word with us. My prayer for you is that this would be supplemental to your discipleship journey. Uh, if we can connect you with a local church or a discipleship group, uh, please contact us at info at discoverwbc.com. Haggai chapter two, verse one through nine. When I was a teenager, I grew up in a just really awesome in a place. Like, uh, I don't know, it, I, th- I feel like this is actually how you determine whether or not you grew up in the South, if you know what kudzu is. Does anybody here know what kudzu is? All right, see, there's four people in here. That means that Maryland is not Southern, okay? I love you, but I'm just telling you, okay? Kudzu and bamboo, you got to have it to be in the South not actually from the south. I think it's from another nation, but regardless, it covers everything. All right, kudzu grows like really fast. Bamboo grows really fast, and it covers so many different places down in the south. Well, I grew up on this uh, in, in a house that was, again, wonderful. It had a, uh, a backyard, but then it had this area that where uh, the grocery store had to have a spot for its water to run off, and so we had this huge uh, forest in our backyard full of bamboo, kudzu, trees, and it had like three different areas. It had a flat spot, it had huge trees, and then it had bamboo. And we made uh, four-wheeler trails through it because it used to be an old, all right, now here we go, drive-in movie theater, <laughs> right? Those things are awesome, man. Uh, we still have some. Uh, I don't know if they have any up here. Yeah? Okay. Well, this one had been shut down for a while, so it was my like playhouse. This huge forest was just like where we were. And as teenagers, we went in, and they had like 15 to 20 guys. We sawed through this bamboo forest, because it grows back really fast. Uh, all right, it grows back really fast. I just sawed through it for a purpose. I was building a, building a house, okay? Now, I feel like the house is about this size, but I know that realistically it was more like the lobby. Uh, but it was huge, okay? It had two bedrooms, a kitchen, table that we built out of bamboo. It had cups with lids made out of bamboo, right? Like this thing was, it was really cool. It had a front porch with bamboo covering. It had a roof on it. Um, man, we, it was our hub for paintball. Anybody know what paintball is in here? Okay, paintball, all right? Uh, it's no big deal. Carbon dioxide, balls, you shoot at each other. It hurts really bad. Totally safe. Uh, we played paintball out here. Uh, all this is sounding really bad, but seriously, we played paintball. It was so much fun. We had these forts up like 20 foot in the air uh, that we built, and like it was our playhouse. It was so much fun. One day, I go up there, and it's, a, it's on the weekend. Some of my friends are with me, and we see these kids running around, like 10, 11 years old. See them running around in the forest, and we're like, what are they doing up here? Not my land, but I felt like it was. And so I was like, what are they doing up here? We've got to figure this out. So we go over to our bamboo house. It's destroyed baseball bat taken to it, like I think a four-wheeler, bicycles run over it, and it's clearly these kids, because they're running around laughing, and they're laughing, and I'm thinking, I'm going to hurt you, and I'm just being honest, like this isn't good thoughts, but I'm just being honest, I wanted to physically hurt these kids, because we had spent months working on this house, Um, but in God's grace, I went to their house, I found them, this sounds really bad, (laughs) this sounds really bad, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we found them. They were in the neighborhood. Uh, we found them, and we did not hurt them physically. We gave them a nice talking to, a nice southern talking to. And, uh, 
it wasn't too bad. But a couple years later, I ended up being the intern at a local church. And I'm not kidding. I'm sitting in the room with student ministry, and here come those boys. Walk in the room. And I'm thinking in my head, man, praise the Lord I didn't physically beat them. Right? <laughs> that would have been really bad. Um, whether or not they deserved it, it would have been really bad. So they come in, and still, though, I'm like, you guys, like, y'all don't get any of the pizza. Y'all aren't going to any events. Like, I did not. It's 17 years later, and I still have a little animosity. Uh, I know. I love them. They were, they were dear to my heart after lots of forgiveness and grace. But, y'all, I drive by 3385 Nancy Creek Road every now and then in Gainesville, Georgia. When I go home, I just drive by there. My wife knows it. I probably tear up every time I do it. I'm good. Uh, but I'll drive by, and I just think, like, man, so many good memories made there. And I see, like, the, the uh, workshop where my dad and I rebuilt transmissions and motors, where we stored our uh, jet skis that we worked on, boats that we fixed up and sold to pay bills. Like, that was where I gave my, like, life to in a home. It was where you create your home. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody have a childhood home they just love? Yeah. And you go back and you see it, and it just brings good feelings up. Well, sometimes I go by and I think, man, they've let this place go. The, 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 um, the garden that we built for my grandma when she passed away, the tree that grew up and we dedicated to her, like the, the, um, the workshop is overgrown and just looks terrible. The backyard, they cut down all the trees. And I look at it, and I'm like, what were you doing? Those were the greatest places to play. And uh, in Haggai chapter 2, verses 1 through 9, we're going to see the Israelites. They're going to look at what they see, and they're going to be like, man, what I see is not what I want to see. Are y'all with me? What I see is not what I want to see. And what they're looking at literally is the temple. But I think maybe somebody walked in here today, and you walked in this room thinking, I, I don't think I have what it takes to do what I need to do. Maybe you walked in here thinking, I have failed so many times, and I have had so many setbacks, that I'm never going to become what I wanted to be. Maybe some of you are just like actually frustrated at your family or a friendship, and you're like, they have held me back. I'm not able to do what I wanted to do mentally or physically or with work or whatever it is. Maybe somebody's in here in this room today and says, I feel like God called me to do something and I haven't been doing what he's called me to do. Maybe you just walked in here this morning and you, every time you look at the mirror, you look at the mirror and you go, that person is a failure. You're frustrated at the person you see in the mirror. Haggai chapter 2, verses 1 through 9, that Israelites are frustrated with what they see, but here's what I want you to walk away knowing. There is a new kingdom coming, full of new blessings. Don't look at what you are seeing today as the final product of what God is doing in your life. You're in a process, and God is not finished with you. Haggai chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to the high priest Joshua, son of Jehozadak, and to the remnant of the people who is left among you, who, uh, who saw this house in its former glory. How does it look to you now? Doesn't it seem to you like nothing by comparison? Even so, be strong, Zerubbabel. 
This is the Lord's declaration. Be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land. This is the Lord's declaration. Work, for I'm with you. The declaration of the Lord of armies. This is the promise I made to you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit is present among you. Don't be afraid. For the Lord of armies says this, Once more, in a little while, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all the nations so that the treasures of all the nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of armies. The silver and gold belong to me. This is the declaration of the Lord of armies. The final glory of this house will be greater than the first, says the Lord of armies. I will provide peace in this place. This is the declaration of the Lord of armies. You see, in verse 3, the Israelites look out at what they have in front of them, this new temple, right? The old temple's been destroyed. 720 to 587 B.C., it's destroyed during that time frame by people from outside of Jerusalem. And now all they have is ruins and what they're building. And remember first chapter, go up into the mountains, cut down the trees, bring down the wood, build up a temple. That's what you're supposed to do, right? My spirit's with you. Do it. And they've, they're slow, and they look at it, and they go, we don't like what we're seeing. So they slow down a little bit more, and they're not building the temple as they're supposed to be doing. In Amos, we see in Amos, right? They're, they're crying. Uh, sorry, Ezra. In Ezra, they're crying out because they see the temple, and they're, they're sad about what they see. They're frustrated with what they see being rebuilt. Right? And so God comes to them, speaking to them, and he says, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Doesn't it seem to you like nothing by comparison? I want you to see some two things really critical in this point. First is, those who would understand what it should look like were those who had grown in wisdom, who had probably been deported and had been brought back and should be building this temple as if it was to the Lord because he saved them out of uh, uh, slavery and brought them back into freedom. And so he calls them out specifically and says, hey, those of you who saw the first temple, what do you think about this second temple? And then he does something uh, uh, really important here. He goes in and he says, doesn't it seem to you... He doesn't say, it looks like to me, as if to God. God doesn't say, I see the temple you're building and it's trash. He doesn't look at it and go, you, you, what you're doing is pitiful in my sight. I can't accept it. But I know that somebody walked in this room feeling like you came in here tired, for one reason, because it's spring forward. <laughs> you came in here feeling deflated. You came in here feeling like, you're worthless because of your job this week and because of the insecurities of your job or because you don't like your job or because you feel like your job's not fulfilling. You came in here because of a relationship that's struggling, maybe in a marriage or a friendship. You came in here feeling like, I'm no good at relationships. I'm no good at my job. Or maybe you came in here just like, I don't even know what I'm supposed to do. And the church is your last hope. Maybe you're almost even done with church. Like, man, I don't know about church. I don't know about this thing about God. I don't know. Is he even doing anything in people's lives? He's still working miracles. He's still changing people's lives. You came in here a lot like the Israelites in Haggai 2.3. Doesn't it seem to you like nothing by comparison? And you're looking at your life now, and you're looking at your life before, and you're going, man, I can't stand where I wound up. Or maybe it's not that intense. Maybe right now you're just like, I don't know if I, know, I like where I'm headed. I'm terrified by what is coming. Because I see where I'm headed, and I know where I was, and I see where I'm headed, and I'm terrified about where that could end up. 
Or maybe you're in here today and you're worried about a friend or a family member or a child or a parent, not yourself. Maybe you're looking at somebody else and going, I see the path they're headed on and I know where it's going to lead them. And just like the Israelites, man, it's, doesn't it seem to you like nothing by comparison? When your eyes see things in this world, do you view them like God would view them? Or do you view them with your own judgment, your own personal judgment? You see, the former glory will fade, but status does not dictate effort. The former glory of the temple faded, and what they saw they didn't like. But the status of what you see should not dictate the effort that you give towards it. Why? Look at verse 4. God says, Even so, be strong, Zerubbabel. This is the Lord's declaration. Be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land. This is the Lord's declaration. Work, for I am with you. The declaration of the Lord of armies. You see, the status of an old, old temple in comparison to the current temple does not dictate how hard the people are to work. And the status of your child or your friend or your own life should not dictate the work that you put in to become who God has called you to be. Don't look in the mirror and go, man, I don't like what I see. I'm giving up. If you're here today and you feel like it's time to give up, don't give up. Don't stop. God's not finished with you. He wasn't finished with the temple. You notice what he says three times? Be strong, be strong, be strong. Maybe you feel weak. Maybe you feel like you couldn't do this. Maybe you feel like you can't. Maybe you feel like you're at the end of trying. Don't give up. Be strong. Why? For I am with you. Like none of that makes sense. Be strong, be strong, be strong. And work doesn't make sense unless God is with you. But did you notice that if status doesn't dictate effort, then why should we work? Is it hard for you to work towards something that you feel like not, isn't going to bring great reward, great value? You look at it and you're like, ah, can you imagine how many people were sitting around like looking at the, old, the new temple that they're rebuilding and they're like, man, this thing, it's not even worth putting the effort into. Didn't God tell them to stop building their own homes and to trust in him and to build the, his home? And they're looking at it like, ah, I'm not really... I'm not going to be a part of this. So we're going to build something. Let's build it great. Look, status doesn't dictate effort and status doesn't dictate calling. You don't get to determine whether somebody's too far gone or not. Y'all hear me? You don't get to determine whether somebody is too far gone or not because God can work in anyone's life. You just be faithful to what God's called you to do. When you see something in the mirror, don't give up on it. When you see somebody, don't give up on it. Push forward. Move into mercy and grace and love to grow because status doesn't dictate effort. Third thing I want you to see from this passage is found in verse 5. It says, This is the promise I made to you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit is present among you. Don't be afraid. So here's what we have. Be strong, be strong, be strong. Don't be afraid. How can we not be afraid? Because of the promise. What's the promise? The spirit is in you. Why does that matter? Why does it matter that the spirit is in you? Okay, think about it. The Spirit is in you so I can be strong. The Spirit is in me so I can work. And the Spirit is in me so I don't have to be afraid. Why does that matter? Because somebody today, seriously, you, there's somebody in here today that feels like your kid doesn't have the ability to overcome. You feel like you don't have the ability to overcome. You feel like something's not going to make it. 
Do, be strong. Don't be afraid. And work hard. Why? Because the presence of the Lord is with you. Now, let me, let me try to make this make a, more, a little bit more sense with the sake, the sake of becoming very cheesy. Okay? <laughs> it's going to happen. Um, anybody a fan of uh, Marvel's? Like Avengers? Yeah? Favorite, favorite Marvel character? Spider-Man. Yeah. Iron Man. Yeah, there's some good ones, all right? Uh, they're really cool. They're funny. They're you know, fun to watch sometimes. If I'm Batman, there you go. That's DC too, but that's okay. I'm with you on that vibe. Like, what's the difference? They're superheroes. But anyways, whoo, somebody's mad at me. Uh, so you're walking down the street, and Superman's beside you. I get on, I'll switch over to DC. Superman's beside you. Or let's say you're walking, Dom, you got, you got Spider-Man beside you, right? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you are Spider-Man, so I'm not actually sure about it. You're walking down the street, and Spider-Man's beside you. What are you actually going to be afraid of? You know what I'm saying? Maybe Spider-Man, he's just he's a little silly. But if you got, if you got Thor with you, or if you've got Iron Man with you, you know what I'm talking about? What are you actually going to be afraid of? Look, there's got to be a shift in our mind where we go, okay, if I feel a little bit more comfortable, if I had a DC character or a Marvel character beside me, how should I feel knowing that God's presence lives in me? And maybe, maybe today you feel like, I don't actually know if God's presence is in me. Maybe that's why you have fears, or maybe that's why you have doubts, or maybe that's why you feel like your failures have overcome you. But I want to encourage you today, when you walked in this room, if you didn't walk here, in here knowing that there were going to be children of God sitting in the seats beside you, daughters, sons, sitting in this room with you, where the presence of God is going to live inside of them, causing them to not be afraid, to be strong, and to give every effort, as Peter tells us to, make every effort towards what God has called you to do and who God's called you to be. If you didn't walk in this room knowing that God's presence is living in you, to do what you never thought possible and to make you into someone who you never thought possible, then you've missed the gospel message. I want to encourage you with the good news. The good news is that Jesus knew where you were. Jesus knew what the old temple was going to end up like, that it was going to be destroyed. He knew that the new temple wasn't going to be nothing compared to the old temple. But he also knew your sin. He knew your failures. He knew your mistakes. And he still took him on the cross. And it's everything about you. So why? Because without him, I can't live without fear. Without him, I can't do what God's called me to do with strength. Without him, I can't make every effort. Without the Spirit of God working in me, I'm nothing. And it's not until we recognize that if you feel like nothing in this morning, if you feel like you're in fear and failure and setbacks and uh, letdowns and all those different things have overcome you, if you feel like you just need more than what God's provided you right now, or if you're satisfied with less than what God has given you, if you're like in any of those statuses right now, just remember, God is in you. He's with you. He's for you. He loves you. He's called you. You're his child. He'll do more for you than this world could ever do. He's adopted you as sons and daughters despite what your background and ethnicity and family history is like. Like, my God loves you. And so he says in 
Haggai, verse 5, don't be afraid. And y'all, if my God is for me, then who can be against me? If my God is with me, then what shall I fear? You know, uh, Haggai 2.6, this is part of why we struggle, right? It says, for the Lord of armies says this once more. And if you could take out this next phrase, I think everybody in this room would just be good. Like we'd be all right in life. We'd feel like everything was okay. If we were like our little gods that dictated what we do and when we do it, everything would be all right. But we aren't. We didn't create ourselves, and we don't know what to do with ourselves half the time. It's hard to lead ourselves, much less lead our families. Amen? Like, it's hard. If we can't admit that, then we're going to struggle throughout this life. We need help. But look at what it says. Once more, in a little while. Anybody in this room just want it to be like right now? Like, God, work right now to fix this. It's like, man, who are we as the created to speak to the creator and tell you, this is what you should do, and this is when you should do it? And that's how we often treat prayer. You know what I'm saying? That's how we often treat prayer. Like, God, I need you to do this. Where are you? And if he doesn't do it, we're like, well, clearly God doesn't love me. And we start to doubt and we have fear. Y'all, hope is not for the moment. Hope is not just, it's not fleeting. Hope is not just for right now. Hope is for eternity. If we, if we consider hope just to be for right now, and it passes, then we're not going to believe. We, we, we're not going to have faith. Look, if your hope is like that God's going to restore you into perfection, there's going to be peace, no crying, no fear, no pain, none of that. If that's your hope, but it's only for a moment, then when it passes by, you're going to doubt it completely. Like, well, God's not going to do anything in my life. God can't do anything in my life. He's abandoned me. But what if you believe, what if, what if in here we believe today that God's not finished with us today? What if we believed in a little while? What if we believe that maybe right now God has you in a process, not in completion? What if you could humbly come before the Lord today and say, God, what are you doing in my life in this moment right now? And ask God, your timing, your will, that might be the hardest thing that any Christian ever has to say to Father. Your timing and your will. In heaven or on earth, your timing, your will. Because this process is, I think, cataclysmic to our lives. It shakes everything up. You know the common phrase like, my world was turned upside down. My life has been shaken, right? This common phrase... Look at verse 7, 6 and 7. I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth. And look at verse 7. I will shake all the nations so that the treasures of the nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of armies. Now, this shaking is, take, is talking about an earthquake that happened in 8th century uh, Jerusalem. Or, or actually in the nations. This was an earthquake that took place. I'm not going to act like we're talking about shaking just physical, like emotional, spiritual lives up. This was actually an earthquake that took place in 8th century BC, and it caused the nations to wake up. But, but what they're saying is, what the prophets are saying, Isaiah and Amos and Ezekiel and uh, uh, Haggai are saying is, 
that God uses physical things to happen in our lives sometimes to wake us up. And they're not always good. Like the prophet's talking about an earthquake. And y'all, think about an earthquake. Like they're terrible. Things can happen. People can pass away. Uh, uh, Provisions can be taken away. Houses taken away. All sorts of bad things can happen in your life from these things. But I'm not sure it's not easier to give up a house than it is to give up some of our temptations. In fact, I think sometimes people lose their homes, lose their provisions, lose their relationships, lose their friendships and marriages, lose their children because of the temptations in their life. Because they're too strong. You know, what's more, what's more shaking up? What's more cataclysmic in your life? What's more transformative in your life? To go from an old house to a new house or to go from sin to righteousness? From brokenness in relationships to wholeness in relationships. What's, what's more cataclysmic? What's more shaking up of your life? I believe that God's transforming your life from where you are to where God has for you. But that doesn't mean it's not going to shake them things up. It doesn't mean that you've got to give away some of those passions and desires in your life, which isn't easy. But as they go, look at what he says in verse 6 and 7. It says, the glory is going to fill up this house. In a little while, things are going to be shook up. It's going to change things, and glory's going to fill this house. What's going to fill this house? Now, literally, here's what it's talking about, literally. When he shakes the nations, he's going to wake them up, and they're going to bring all their treasures and put it in the temple. Why? Because Amos tells us this. Amos. I think it's Amos. Amos tells us this. There's not enough money in Israel to provide for the temple. And in Ezra, right, they weep. They weep because they don't have money to fill the temple. And so they're sad because they can't fill it up. So what what does God do? He says, silver and gold are mine. So I'll shake the nations, bring the gold and silver in, plant it in my temple, and then you'll think it's beautiful again. Because we judge things based on what we see and experience. But what is supposed to be so great about the temple? Is the temple supposed to, think about it, is the temple supposed to be great because of what it looks like and what's inside of it and its treasures that are in it? Or is the temple supposed to be great because of who dwells within it? Y'all, this, this is so important in your life. You've got to answer this question. Do you want to look good, act good, be good on the outside so that people will see you and bring you glory? Or... Is there something inside of you, the Spirit of God inside of you, working to create goodness that comes outside of you, and the glory of God is shown outside of you so that people see you and go, what's going on? And you go, it's not for my glory, but for the glory of God because the Spirit is inside of me. You see, why, were they supposed to make that temple beautiful so that they could look at it and be happy? Or because God's presence was going to dwell in it? And we got to be careful that we don't miss that important point for our own lives. Like for my life. What is God doing in me? What is God doing in you? And look, he says in verse 9, the final glory of this house will be greater than the first. I'll provide peace in this place. Glory, peace. Glory and peace. The old temple's destroyed. The new temple never really gets to become what it thinks it's going to become. The final glory is going to be great. It's going to have peace. John chapter 1, verse 14. The word became flesh. This is the New Testament. Jesus coming. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory. 
the glory is the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And y'all, that's Shekinah glory. That's the word for it, Shekinah glory. It's the temple. It's the tabernacle. It's God's presence on earth. It radiates throughout the whole world. It's a glory that cannot be held within human things. There's no treasure. There's no gold. There's no silver within the earth that can even take a glimpse of God's glory. Nothing compares to the glory of God. No sunrise, no sunset, no building compares to the glory of God. And what does Jesus pray in John chapter 17? Right, he prays to his Father for himself. He prays to his Father for his disciples. And then he prays for you. And I want you to hear this. I've, I've spoken it over you. I'll, I'll probably speak it consistently over you. John chapter 17, 20 through 23, because this was Jesus' prayer for you. I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their word. That's you. May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe you sent me. I've given them the glory you've given me so that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you are in me so that they may be made completely one that the world may know you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. The glory of God was supposed to be in a temple and we failed. The glory of God comes through the Son, Jesus Christ. He's victorious. And then he prays specifically that his glory would be poured out in your life. Why? So the world would see you and believe in him. You go back to Haggai 2, verse 9. The final glory of the house will be greater than the first. And you look at what Corinthians says, and it says you're the new temple. And all of a sudden you start to realize God's final glory and peace is coming through me and you. And he's building up a church to be his temple throughout the world that the world will see the glory of God in you. Why? Genesis 1, 26 and 27. For God created man and woman, right? In the image of God. And then you work towards Colossians chapter 1 in the New Testament. We're talking thousands of years later. And what's Jesus doing? He comes as the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Why? Because he's going to return you back into the image of God. From where you are in brokenness, to the image of God with the full glory and full peace being administered through you to the world full of grace and truth so that the world might see God and believe. Now, who are you? Who did you walk in here today thinking you were? Did you walk in here today believing you are the image of God? Like, did you walk in here knowing that when you spoke and every word of grace and every word of truth and every word of love and every act of care and act of peace, did you realize that God is working through you to show the world His glory? You're, you're not a failure. You're God's temple. He's not done with you. He's just probably going back up the mountain to find some more wood to keep building. Be strong, work hard, make every effort, Peter tells us. The Spirit's working in you. Don't stop the Spirit from working in you. So as the band comes, I want to challenge you with this based on the gospel. Jesus lived a life that I could not live, died the death I should have died, and raised from the dead because I can't live and because I should die. And now because he raised from the dead, I can live. And when I die, I'll have life. Don't, like, the gospel has not declared you to be a failure. It's declared you to be victorious.
So walk in that victory today. And if you're struggling, man, if you, if you feel like I'm still broken, remember, you're just in the process. You're just in the process. There's no failures in Jesus' kingdom. That's like saying to Jesus, sorry, your blood wasn't good enough. Sorry, your mercy's not good enough. It's not far enough. It's not great enough. Sorry, your power's not strong enough. Sorry, I'm just, I'm just afraid. No. God is in you, and he loves you, and you're his child. So I want you to walk out of these doors. I'm going to end this here. Not much of a response, just this. I want you to just walk out of these doors knowing this. That if you came in here believing in Jesus, you're walking out of here with the power of the Spirit of God in you. If you came in here believing in Jesus, you're walking out a child of God. If you came in here believing in Jesus, you're walking out literally radiating the glory of God as you go. And if you're somewhere along that process, this church is not a place for perfect people. It's a place for broken people. Broken people who need help. And so just, I urge you, find help. You're not done. God's not finished with you. He's just working. And what you're going to see in heaven, it's worth working for. Because each one of you are going to be without pain, without tears, and without sin, and without sorrow, and without heartbreak, and without relationship struggles. Every single one of you. So don't give up. He's working. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray that you would continue to work in everybody's life in this room, that you would move in this place right now, that you would, I pray, God, that you would just pour your spirit out in this place in a way that draws people from where they are to where you have for them and reminds them along the journey that they're yours. That even though we experience brokenness and struggles in this world, we're your children. And so, God, I pray that you would give us that courage Give us that hope. Pray, God, you would break down any discouragement in this room right now. Any weariness in this room right now. Any anxiety or depression in this room right now. I pray you would cleanse us of those things. Pray, God, that you would... Help us to see people and see ourselves as you see us, not now, but in eternity. So God, we need you. Would you speak a word of affirmation over us today? Would you just affirm who we are today and what you called us to be today? I love you, God. In your son's name we pray, amen.
Amen. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Remember, you're sent into the midst of darkness to light it up. We'll see you next week. You have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more about following after Jesus, uh, please contact us and we would love to talk more about your relationship with Christ and how you can grow in your spiritual journey.